Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day of the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get around to all the live comments and questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure you guys don't have to wait too awful long to get them answered, so we gather up those unused tip questions, and we address them here on companion videos and due to the fact that the internet went out in my neighborhood last Friday and we didn't have a chance to even do the John Cabot show on Friday we are a little bit behind on getting these tip questions answered so let's do our best to start getting caught up right now shall we and we're going to start getting caught up here with one from we did uh, sir sir xxq the other day so jj jj writes in even though the quality of the show hasn't been great in the last 20 years, The Simpsons still remains immensely popular. It's usually in first or second place on the Disney Plus trending section. Its longevity is truly amazing. Disney struck gold here. Yeah, getting The Simpsons was huge. And I'll tell you what. While I have not regularly watched The Simpsons for at least a decade, it's been at least 10 years since I made it a habit to make sure I watched the new episodes of The Simpsons as they came out. It's been a while. Whenever I just peek in on it, though, I usually always laugh. Like, I still find, yeah, maybe it doesn't have that insane magic that it had in that, you know, the first decade of its existence. But I'm telling you, whenever I tune into it or watch clips or go watch a random episode, I still find myself smiling and laughing. They have somehow found a way to keep this thing going, and its longevity really is a testimony to that. So it's pretty impressive. Thanks for bringing that up, JJ. All right, next up, Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, Seth Graham Green, showrunner of the Green Lantern TV show, made a big, huge update about the show and the news. They're working hard, and it will take a while before we see it. As far as updates, this is so lame. Uh, they could be more specific than this and give dates and times. Well, here's the problem, Dangerous D. What if they don't have dates and times right now? I mean, we, and I say we because I was complaining about this too, we can't complain that they haven't let us know anything about where the Green Lantern Project is at and then complain later when they at least give us a little bit of an update saying, look, we're still working on it. We don't have anything really to share with you, but we're still working hard on it. We're committed to this project and blah, blah, If they don't have dates and times, they can't give you dates and times. If they haven't completely nailed down the show yet, how can they give you any more details? Because if they give you details right now, and then tomorrow they decide on a change of direction since it's not hammered down yet, well, then they gave you false information. They told us what they could tell us. And that's all I ask. You know, we've been waiting for a long time. Just tell us where you're at. And if where you're at right now is that you're still working hard, you haven't quite gotten there yet, but we continue to have the goal, then that's all we ask. And I think that's all we, we can ask them to tell us, Dangerous. All right, next up. Crashing Coyote writes, one of two. Yes, 2018 is better, but I had a blast with Halloween Kills, especially the intro. The intro was pretty fun, although it was a little bit cheesy. But I jumped I never jump. Uh, Stuckman said it perfectly. Some go to these for tension slash story, and some go to see Michael murder people in gruesome ways. I'm the latter. I root for Michael. Um, well, I mean, well, there's part two, too. I want to see him kill everyone. Yeah, the subplot about penguin-looking guy was stupid, but it made me want Michael to kill them more. So mobs serve their purpose to die. I hope uh, the ends. I hope ends has the cool kills of kills with tension story of 2018. I want the stabby stabby. Yeah, I listen, I get it. But, but here's the thing for me. I know a lot of people go in to watch the big kills, 
but you don't need a movie. I mean, that can be a short YouTube video. If all you want to do is make, here's a really cool montage of a unknown serial killer doing some cool kills in a fictional way, right? Then you can just do that as a YouTube video. If you're going to make it a movie, like, because here's the thing crashing. The 2018 version got to have a bunch of cool kills and have all the really neat stabby stabby. But it also made a really good story out of it. And they set it up, they made, they told the narrative in such a way that it had tension and had anticipation. And with this one, I just felt a lot of randomness. And then the mob was just very oddly placed. You know, the, the marketing for Halloween Kills is, Michael's coming after me and I'm going after Michael. Uh, none of that was true. Michael doesn't go after her in it and she does not go after Michael. She's in the hospital the whole movie. I mean... There's so much more you could have done. So cool. You have the cool kills and you got the stabby stabby, but do what you did in 2018 and make a good movie around it too. Anyway, maybe maybe that's me. Look, you had fun with it. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. And I'm glad you had a good time with it, brother. All right. Next up, we go to another one from Crashing Coyote who writes, top 10 of 2021. Number one, Suicide Squad. Not my number one, but I did love that movie. Uh, Number two, The Snyder Cut. Number three, Cherry. Oh, I didn't like Cherry. I wanted to, but anyway, I liked it because of how it portrayed PTSD and addiction together. It it did do that. It was a very bold movie that way. Uh, Number four, The Green Knight was great. Number five, Venom. I had a good time with Venom too. Uh, Number six, Halloween Kills. Number seven, Shang-Chi. Number eight, Free Guy. Number nine, uh, Mitchells versus the Machines. Number 10, Dune. It was beautiful, cool, interesting, and boring. Oh, I disagree. I don't, I don't think it was boring. And I, I mean, listen, you can find anything boring. There are people who can watch Avengers Endgame and find it boring. There are people who can watch the Godfather and find it boring. I appreciate that all film subjective. And if it hit you in that way, I appreciate that. I completely disagree. And it totally confounds my mind that you can find such brilliant, fantastic storytelling boring. I don't get it. But then again, there's a bunch of things that I find in movies that other people look at my opinion and say, I don't get that either. And that's the beautiful thing about the subjectivity of film, man. We don't have to get it. We just respect that we each have different experiences with movies. And I'm glad you like what you like. And I hope you're glad that I like what I like. So that's the important thing. All right. Thanks for sharing your list there, Crashing. Next up, A.A. Uh, a. Ron. A.A. A. Ron. I still love that sketch from Key and Peele. Uh, writes, hey, John and Co., about the rumors of World War Hulk. I love that storyline and how Hulk just doesn't give a crap about anyone. And I think this movie can be done and just replace Sentry with Adam Warlock. What are your thoughts and bring on the filthy? Well, no, I mean, there's so much more. I mean, look, you can do a World War Hulk movie and make it anything. It doesn't have to follow the comic book storyline at all. Marvel has made and DC has made habits out of making their movies and they don't really care how tightly it follows to the comic books at all. They're based on the comic books. They draw influence from the comic books, but their number one priority is to make the best movie that they can possible. Age of Ultron is nothing like the Age of Ultron or the the Ultron storyline of the comics. The Civil War is completely different from the Civil War story in the comics. They all borrow from it, certainly. They're all influenced by it, certainly. There are thematic similarities, certainly, but they're completely different. Uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, completely different from the X-Men Days of Future Past in the comic book. There's some thematic stuff in there, but other than that, it's a totally different story. Anyway, the with Planet with World War Hulk, I should say, you can come up with something that just says, okay, Hulk is mad at the world and is on a rampage. And it doesn't have to have anything to do with the other things in the comic. But if you're going to try to do the comic, then no, you can't just replace Sentry with Adam Warlock. 
that doesn't cut it. Um, because there's so much to that story that I don't know that it can be done unless you completely adapt it and just make it a totally different thing from there. Cool. I, I mean, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's so many other things working against it that I have big doubts about it, but I would love it. I would love to see a world war Hulk movie. I really would. All right. Next up, uh, Darth Revan writes, Hey, John, may the force be with you. Thank you so much, Darth Revan. Uh, thank you for all you do with your show, man. It's helped me whenever I've been super depressed. Don't worry. I see a therapist regularly. Good on you, man. That's awesome. And regularly take medication too. But there's been many times when your show helps. Well, thank you so much for that, man. And listen, I, I love that you brought up the fact and that you're openly talking that you go to therapy. I have never understood why we have this stigma that going to see a therapist is somehow a sign of weakness. I've made this analogy before, but let me say it again. When we want to get in better physical shape, what do we do? We go to the gym. We go to the gym. We exercise the muscles that don't get enough work, whether it's our, our arm muscles, our heart muscle, our lung capacity, whatever. We go and we put in the work so we can be stronger and healthier. Nobody sees going to the gym as some kind of sign of weakness. Nobody, nobody ever talks about going to the gym as a sign of weakness. Since when is do putting in the work to get healthier physically as a sign of weakness? We don't. We acknowledge that's a really good thing to do, man. Go to the gym or find some other way to get in that exercise. Work your body. Awesome. To me, like seeing a therapist, and, and I have seen therapists at times in my life when, I, when I've needed that, but for anybody to go to a therapist, I think that's great. Because that tells me you're looking after your emotional health. You're looking after yourself. You're trying to get healthier and stronger. And I think that's great. And I'm glad that you're speaking openly about it, Darth, because I hope that encourages everybody that, hey, listen, if you think you're in a rough spot emotionally, try try seeing a therapist. Try seeing somebody that, that might be able to help you work through a lot of stuff. I think that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that, Darth. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, Pano75 writes, Dune is an above-average movie, but with significant flaws. The cinematography is atrocious. Okay, you lost me right there. You just completely lost me. Uh, all those dark, dimly lit shots that look beautiful to me. And desaturated colors, that's the color palette of the movie. It's a desert world. It's arrakis. Um, got tiresome after a while. Paul's repetitive uh, visions hurt the pacing. I disagree, especially in the last hour. Hey, listen, man, again, Panos, it, all film is subjective. If that's how you know, your experience interacting with that art hit you. I respect that. But I, I got to say, I don't agree with you in the least. And that's okay. We as film fans don't have to agree. And that's cool. But I, I, you are writing into my show. So I will tell you, I wholeheartedly, emphatically disagree with your assessment of that. But that's just me. Okay. Anyway, next up, Max92 writes, one of two. Greetings from Germany. Uh, now that you have finally seen Dune, I can finally say I really love the movie. However, I did have to watch it multiple times to really understand the world and its politics as I did not read the books. Uh, I, what I do not understand is why the studio did not agree to producing back-to-back -back, as I feel like this movie is more of a big prologue and a focus on world and character building. A real bummer to have to wait up to three years for the second part. Listen, Max92, I completely agree. Why? And we can't put all the blame on Warner Brothers. Listen, I, I have to confess, I have been guilty for putting all the blame at Warner Brothers' feet. They definitely deserve some of it, but not all of it. Because it's not just Warner Brothers making that decision. It's Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures. 
So why they did not automatically green light, how you green light part one of Dune without committing fully to it, to doing part two is completely beyond me. Hmm. Look, I get it. There was a situation, remember uh, that the that book series about the dragon, I think it was called Aragon. I think that was the name of it, Aragon. It was very, very popular. They went ahead and made the first movie of it with the plan John Malkovich was in that. And the plan was to do more, but the first one was such an abysmal failure, they scrapped the plans to do the second one. I get it. You don't want to be in that kind of position. But that being said, this is Dune. This isn't the latest flash in the pan hot book right now. This is a book that has been popular with sci-fi fans for generations. And this is arguably today the most celebrated filmmaker right now in Denis Villeneuve. This isn't the same situation as something like Aragon. This is one that they absolutely should have committed. Like if you're going to make Dune, then commit to it or don't do it. Let somebody else do it. Like, either commit to it or don't do it. This half-assing it, I was like, well, let's do part one and, you know, then we'll see. But part one is totally dependent on a part two. You've got a very incomplete story. And now the consequence is we're going to have to wait like three years in between chapters. And that's ridiculous. And I really do feel it shows a little bit of a lack of vision, but that's, eh, you know, whatever, Max, that's just my opinion. All right. Thanks for that, man. Next up. Uh, Queenie was a blonde writes, which infamous CEO makes your blood boil more Bob Chapek or Adam Aaron? For me, it's Aaron, uh, Bobby Chapek hiring a, his banker buddy to be in charge of all the creative stuff is kind of funny. Then again, I failed uh, economics 101. So what do I know? No, listen, as much as, up until now, I don't think Bob Chapek has done a very good job as the CEO of Disney. I haven't been shy about expressing that. I don't hide that. And there's been several things that he's done that has just really made me want to bang my head against the wall. But I've never seen anything that he's done as being morally corrupt. Incompetent? Maybe. Stupid? Maybe. And, and I have high hopes that he'll get better at the job and he'll be a great CEO eventually. I have hopes for that. Unfortunately, when you talk about doing things that are morally corrupt, then I think of Adam Aaron at AMC. And I'm just expressing my own personal opinion here. But when you start off with, and I won't go into the whole rant again, I'm going to be very calm about this. When you start off with, laying off 30,000 employees and everybody's losing their jobs in your company and then you take a $9 million bonus on top of your millions and millions in salary, that to me is not just stupid. It's not just poor leadership. To me, that is morally corrupt. Hey, you know, yeah, we laid off 30,000 of our employees. They're not getting paychecks right now. Sounds like I need a $9 million bonus. Morally corrupt. Stupid, poor leadership. Nobody that works at AMC should feel any loyalty to this company. Like none. I'm not saying people at AMC should walk off their jobs. I'm just saying if you work at AMC, feel zero loyalty for this company. And the moment you get a decent job offer from somewhere else, get out of Dodge. 
Uh, but then it got even worse when I was at CinemaCon this year and Adam Aaron, uh, the pompous moron, is up there on the platform talking about, ha ha, people said that uh, AMC wouldn't make it financially, but here we are today. We're still here and we've got tons of money in the bank and we're good. And I'm like, you. so he was taking credit because you guys know why AMC is still in existence, right? The meme stock, how a bunch of guys on Reddit organized for them to artificially inflate by 20 times the stock price of AMC theaters, making AMC, giving AMC theaters the, op- the opportunity to sell a whole bunch of stock more, made billions of dollars. They literally wiped out all of their 2020, this was written in Yahoo Finance, that AMC literally wiped out all of their financial losses from 2020 as a result of the pandemic in one day. In one day. And Adam Aaron stood up there on that podium as if it's from their bold leadership, never once mentioning the stock market and how it was manipulated by some people totally unrelated to him that artificially and by the luck of the Irish caused the stock to inflate that saved the company. He didn't save the company. His generals didn't save the company. That fucking lucky stroke of incredible good fortune of a bunch of people on the internet doing an artificial stock bump on it is what saved that company. And listen, there's no dishonor in that, but then don't stand up there at a podium and make it look like, oh, through our bold leadership, we saved this company. Oh God, that guy's an ass. And I say that as somebody that you know, AMC theaters is my favorite movie theater chain. They are. I still, every time, if I have a choice to go to any movie theater, I will go to an AMC theater. I just enjoy it the most. I love AMC. You guys know I worked with AMC for a lot of years. I still have a very special place, always will have a very special place in my heart for AMC theaters. Um, You know, aside from the incompetent gaggle of morons that run their HR department who are a bunch of insufferable demonic entities, but besides that... Um, and this, and, and Adam Aaron wasn't the CEO when I was there, man. We had a great Jerry when I was there. He was a great CEO, great CEO. Uh, this guy's a buffoon again, in my opinion, but eh, you know, it is what it is. So yes, I would definitely say I would take Bob Chapek any day of the week over somebody that I consider a combination of stupidity, lack of leadership, and worst of all, completely morally corrupt. Uh, I'll take Bob Chapek over that any day. That's just me. All right. Next up. A Silly Goose writes, drove 90 minutes to see Dune at the nearest IMAX theater, and it was bananas. The soundtrack was amazing. The visuals were incredible. Definitely felt like half a movie. I agree. Uh, theater was packed. If they don't make part two, Warner Brothers is going to have me to answer to. Yeah, don't don't worry about it. Like, regardless of what Warner Brothers does right now, either they greenlight Dune 2 or Zaslov, the CEO of Discovery. Once Discovery takes over Warner Brothers in a few months they'll greenlight it. So I have no doubt Green Dune 2 is going to get greenlight, greenlit one way or the other. So don't don't worry about it, man. It's just, it just sucks that we're going to have to wait so long to get part two. It really, really does suck. Anyway, uh, next up, Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, uh, there's news that an accident happened. I mean, obviously this came in, uh, w- was meant for Friday's show, which didn't happen. Uh, there, news came out that an accident happened on the set of the movie Rust. Alec Baldwin was using a prop gun and it misfired and killed a crew member. It's sad. Uh, it's sad. This is sad. It reminds me of how Brandon Lee died on the set of The Crow. Uh, wish prayers for the cast and crew. Yeah, and we talked about this on the John Campus show earlier today at some length. And again, you know, um, if, if you follow the procedure, 
you know, the assistant director brought the gun that somehow was loaded with a live round. How that happens, I'll never know. By the assistant director handed to Alec Baldwin and the assistant director proclaimed on set, cold gun, cold gun. Cold gun means that this is told this is just a prop there's it's not loaded there's nothing in it where it's all good it's all safe it's all safe it's all safe that's when they're yelling cold gun cold gun means so alec baldwin gets handed this gun and he thinks it's a cold gun everybody on set thinks it's a cold gun now i'm hearing some people online today desperate to assign blame to somebody Trying to point fingers at Alec Baldwin. Well, Alec Baldwin should have also inspected the gun. Shut the fuck up. You would have no fucking idea. I don't act like you're a tough guy. You would have no fucking idea how to inspect a gun. And I highly doubt Alec Baldwin knows how to inspect a gun. I think 99% of the people watching this video right now would have no fucking clue how to inspect a gun. You would know the first thing. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a gun and a toaster, at least in its operation. You wouldn't know the slightest clue. Now, I would, but that's only because I grew up, you know, on the ranch with my dad, who is a member of the Association for Hunting in Canada, and I have grew up with lots of guns in the house. Hell, my dad even made his own ammunition and all that kind of stuff. So I could, but that's only because of the, the, the lucky kind of circumstances I was in that I grew up with. But if I didn't have that, I wouldn't know the first thing about how to inspect a gun either. And it just, it just makes me laugh hearing all these internet tough guys say, well, he's... Like, uh, yes, it should have been properly put together. And then, yes, the assistant director should have thinking. But even after the assistant director proclaims cold gun, cold gun, Alec Baldwin as the actor should have inspected the gun. You wouldn't know fucking how to inspect the gun. So shut the fuck up, internet tough guys. They make, he should have done it. You know, everybody is a massive expert. Everybody's an expert on what other people should have done. You ever notice that? Everybody is the world's foremost expert on what somebody else should have done. Now, listen, we don't know a lot about the details. We don't know many of the details. We're only slowly starting to get information, right? And who knows? We may find out. I'm not saying we will. I'm just, this is a hypothetical. We may find out once real information comes out that Alec Baldwin accidentally put a live round in that gun and blah. blah. I mean, look, we may find out that this is Alec Baldwin's that he's responsible for this. Maybe we will, but we haven't, we haven't heard anything like that so far. Now I've also read some people saying Alec Baldwin's the producer of the movie. And then I'll get this clear. Alec Baldwin is not the producer of the movie, but it says he's a producer. This is like any actor being in a movie who also gets a producer's credit. He's not the producer of the film to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my knowledge. So, I, I get it. Everybody wants to rush to point fingers and assign blame. But right now, everything I'm reading, it doesn't sound like it's his responsibility. That's not his fault. Uh, in the newest report I saw on ABC today, and like some people saying, well, why was the gun pointed at the cinematographer? He wasn't pointing the gun at the cinematographer. According to a report in an affidavit coming from ABC News, there was an affidavit file that said he was practicing a scene in which he's supposed to like point the gun at the camera, right? Because that's supposed to be the point of view. We've all seen movies and TV shows do that, right? Where a gun's pointing like right at the camera, blah, blah, right? That's what he was doing. He was pointing, according to the affidavit obtained by ABC News, he was given a gun that was proclaimed cold gun, cold gun. So he had no reason to believe that it was anything but an empty prop in his hand. And then he was rehearsing the scene that he's supposed to point the gun at the camera, which unfortunately is where the cinematographer was, the DP, Helena. And there was a live round in the gun. 
and it sucks. And uh, uh, not only did a woman lose her life, a husband lost his wife. Um, kids lost their mother. Some parents lost their daughter. Some friends lost a loved one. And it sucks. And I get it. We all want to rush to pointing our fingers and blame somebody. We want to blame somebody. We do. I do. You do. But we can't let that desire to hold whoever is responsible for this accountable to allow us to forego the process of actually finding out what happened. Well, I heard that. Well, the AD handed in the gun. It must be the AD's fault. Well, the director is supposed to be responsible for what's happening on site. So the director's fault. I mean, I get it. But pull the reins in a bit. The police are investigating. They're talking to everybody who is involved. They will get all the information and we'll eventually find out what happened. And then we'll find out somebody was responsible. Right now, listen, I have no doubt in my mind at all that nobody meant for this to happen. This was clearly an accident. This was gonna. This is going to be a case of a tragedy as a result of negligence and incompetence, and that's terrible. But I, I know that nobody intended for anybody to get hurt. Nobody intended for somebody to get murdered unless we find out some big plot behind all this. But I just, it concerns me when I see the mob assembling online. And uh, I just think it's premature. Uh, that's just me. I just think it's premature. Anyway, that's just that. All right, next up. Uh, Tristan Thorpe writes, I watched DC fandom since I couldn't last year and I couldn't agree with you. Uh, it was boring and I couldn't agree more with you. It was boring as hell and they could have taken some things out, especially that God, that gold boots announcement. Like what the fuck guys? Listen, I, I just... At the end of the day, I just don't know what the point of DC fandom was this year. They really, they talked more and showed more. I mean, we actually got footage of the flash this year, like about a minute of it, but they spent so much time last year talking about flash and talking to the director and the producer and really getting into the details and, and what motivated them to do and what kind of thing they're going for in this movie. And then this year, when the movie's actually coming out, like like within earshot. And by the way, guys, we have a Flash movie coming. Here's a one-minute clip. And then they just moved on and never talked about it again. They literally spent more time at DC Fandom. And you'd think this is a joke, but it's not. DC Fandom literally spent more time talking about Cam Newton's hats than they did about this major tentpole DC motion picture the flash they spent more time talking about cam newton's hats than they did about the flash let that sink in and it just leaves me thinking like did they show some cool stuff sure that one minute footage was great the behind the scenes stuff they showed us for aquaman 2 great the batman trailer was insane but that all equaled up to about 10 minutes of screen time in a three and a half hour to four hour live stream that literally spent more time on Puma gear, Dove soap, Cam Newton's hats, and gold boots. And it just left me wondering, what was the point of it this year? Because last year was great, man. DC fandom last year was great. It only makes me even more frustrated with how terrible it was this year. But that's just me. I, I know some people enjoyed it. And if you enjoyed it, that's awesome. I celebrate that. I'm, I'm envious. I'm jealous. I wish I could have enjoyed it. Anyway, Suthius writes, 
I know nothing of Dune, but I have to say my eyes and ears were glued to the screen nonstop. Fascinating lore. I kept on wanting to know more about this and that. I wanted to know more about these people and those people. I wanted to know more about the female force users, the Benny Jesuit. Um, And even though... This world takes place 10,000 years in the future with space travel and advanced weaponry. I love how some, if not most of this world, was basic and recognizable today. Basic names like Paul, Jessica, and Duncan. Basic skills like using uh, manual compasses. The cool dragonfly vehicles, the thropters, uh, had somewhat rudimentary control panels, the same you would see in today's helicopters. Everything in this movie was very intriguing and captivating to me. The houses, the politics, the religions. This is now my favorite sci-fi movie i've seen in the last few years my only negative is that i won't be able to see it on the big screen which is depending on where you live is an unfortunate thing listen man i i can't agree with you more i thought now it's not my favorite sci-fi film but i i love this movie man i was enraptured by it I, like you my eyes and ears were glued to the screen and to the speakers the entire runtime the intricacy of the characters the depth of the lore uh the the world building that went on to me, it's just the, the politics, the houses. I mean, it's just, it's so good, man. I mean, and you know, there are people out there who didn't like it, and that's fine. It's all film is subjective. I'm sure there are movies that I don't like that you think I'm crazy for liking, and that's fair. That's why we're all film fans. But I agree with you, Suthius. To me, it was stunning. It was truly a masterpiece. I can't imagine Dune being translated into an on-screen adaptation any better. Like, it was just absolutely masterfully done by Denis Villeneuve. All right, next up. Ryan Loner writes, uh, one of two, Dune is one of my favorite books, and for decades I lost hope of ever seeing a proper movie of it. This is everything I ever wanted, and my best theater experience since Lord of the Rings. Too bad my opinion doesn't matter, since I'm just a zombie who likes comic book movies. Oh yeah, I'm a petty bastard. Yeah, of course, listen, as much as Denis Villeneuve is a good Canadian kid, and I love his work. He's one of the best directors working today. I'm sure he didn't mean anything by it, but man, you got to be aware when you're saying something that stupid. That, like when he was commenting on like comic book movies today and everything, it was so stupid. And I'm sure, you know, English is not his first language, obviously, but I'm sure in the translation, it probably came off far more negative than what he intended it to be, but it came across as really bad. Oh, it came across bad. And uh, not a good look on him. But we've moved past it, and uh, he did deliver us a hell of a work of art. He really did. All right, next up, uh, Suthius writes, And speaking of Dune or any other show-slash-movie that has a leader of great houses or groups or factions that is bad, why is it that the leader, uh, the leader, the person in charge, is usually fat and gross-looking? I look at the Baron, and I'm like, how is he in charge? Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, a lot of times... The opposing leader is, I mean, you want your villain to be menacing, right? And you got to remember, Dune was written a long time ago, man. I can't even remember the exact year it was written, but it was written a long time ago. And you're trying to paint imagery in your readers' minds about what the Baron Harkonnen... By the way, can I just admit something? Despite seeing the miniseries and despite seeing the original movie, I have always pronounced it Harkonnen. And whenever I heard somebody refer to the evil house in Dune as Harkonnen, I've always silently judged them in my head. Oh, those swine, they don't realize it's pronounced Harkonnen, House Harkonnen. Well, then I'm watching the movie 
And sure enough, they pronounce it Harkonnen. Um, and I've always pronounced it Harkonnen, but I was wrong. There you go. Live and learn. That's what happens when you read something on the page and you hear it one way in your head. For so long that you actually don't even realize you were saying it wrong. So, yeah. But he's trying to paint imagery of, of this menacing, scary kind of leader of the house, right? And if he's been the leader of that house for a long time, and remember, it's a birthright thing, then, then it is what it is. It's kind of the case system, right? A little bit of the case system. All right, next up. Uh, Eric Taylor writes, Growing up, I drew and was a huge comic fan. Listen, man, can I just tell you, whenever I've wanted to be able to do something, I, I taught myself how to do it. Wanted to play guitar? My mom played a little guitar, so I went to her first and got my first little lessons from her, and then I just taught myself the rest. I wanted to learn how to play piano. I just taught myself how to play piano. I wanted to be able to do video editing. I taught myself how to do video editing. I wanted to write a book. I just wrote a book. The one thing I have always wanted to be able to do, always wanted to be able to do, is draw. That's why, you know, I got a buddy of mine uh, and it, you know him online as box office artist, but, uh, James is, he's, he's great. And if you've never checked out his YouTube channel, he's got well over a million subscribers. Go check it out. Box office artist on YouTube. See, I look at guys like that who can do that kind of stuff. And even my buddy Rodney, you guys, for those of you who've watched me for a long, long, long time, you might remember my friend Rodney. He used to do stuff on the movie blog with me. And I I think I even had him on for a couple of episodes of Jedi Council in the early days of Jedi Council. But anyway, my buddy Rodney up in Canada, he's he's really good at, uh, at art and drawing as well. But like box office artist is insane. I always just seethe with jealousy. Because that is the one thing that I always totally wish I could do and I could never teach myself. I have no gift for it. I have no talent for it whatsoever. I can't even be taught. Like, I'm, I'm hopeless. I can't even be taught how to draw. And I'm fine. I, I've, I've accepted that. I live with that. But I am just want all that to say, Eric, that I totally envy the fact that you can draw. Anyway, uh, one of my favorite artists was John uh, Bernie. Uh, he, by the way, I've never known whether to pronounce it Burn or Bernie. Anyway, uh, he created Alpha Flight. Yes, he did. I once heard you say, uh, though, being a good Canadian kid that you like Alpha Flight, I would love to see those characters in the MCU. I would too. I don't think, I mean, we may. Like, I don't think, I can't remember. Was North Star? I can't remember. Was North Star one of the guys who popped up in Deadpool 2? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, I'm sure we will see some characters pop up. I highly doubt we'll ever get like an Alpha Flight movie. Uh, although I would totally, obviously being a good Canadian kid, I would totally be down for an Alpha Flight movie. I really would. All right, thanks for writing that in, Eric. Uh, Dr. Nova writes, you love Star Wars and that movie has a lot of influences from old sci-fi movies from the 50s as well as the book Dune. Absolutely. As well as old samurai movies, um, uh, Flash Gordon. There's a lot of influences that went into Star Wars. Did you see any Star Wars similarities in Dune? Um, I don't know about that. I mean, it's hard. Look, you got to understand, Star Wars is one of those movies where every filmmaker today was massively influenced by it. Like, you, you talk to filmmakers and say, what movies influenced you? At Somewhere on their list is going to be Star Wars, right? And so there's probably traces of the influence of Star Wars in, in a lot of movies today. But I wouldn't say there was anything in Dune that made me go, well, that 
Denis Villeneuve took that direct from Star Wars. I, I didn't notice any of that myself. It's a great question, Dr. Nova, but I, I don't think I noticed any of it myself, at least nothing direct. You know what I'm saying? Probably some subtle stuff, but nothing direct at this point. All right, next up. Dr. Nova also writes again, I recently watched a bunch of movies referenced by my favorite uh, queer movie, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Flash Gordon, Bride of Frankenstein, and Rope were my favorites. Uh, look, whenever you have the time that you can sit down and watch a bunch of movies that are part of your favorites of any group of films, that's always a good time, Dr. Nova. I'm glad you enjoyed those. All right, Raymond writes, John, buy, rent, lose one. Shang-Chi, Eternals, and Dune 2021. Nah, not going to play that game. Look, I will say this, though. I will say this. Shang-Chi to me is still my favorite or second favorite movie of the year. Like my two favorite movies of the year are still A Quiet Place 2 and Shang-Chi. Those are still my two favorites. Even after seeing Eternals and even after seeing Dune, uh, Shang-Chi is still in my top two spots. So I won't do the whole buy, rent, lose with those three films, but I will tell you obviously the one that would be the buy since it's the only one on this list that's in my top two of the year so far is Shang-Chi. All right. Uh, uh, Mostly Me writes, Hey, John. I just watched Dune last night, and it felt like the experience of a lifetime. I felt hypnotized by it, and contrary to many complaints, I didn't feel like was like it was incomplete. It inspired me to start writing reviews again uh, after nearly a year. Well, I'll tell you what. That is one of the best testimonies you can give a movie. When you can say after it, I want to write movies review. Like when you watch a movie and you're like, I want to write movie reviews. Like when watching a movie makes you feel inspired to do that, that says something about the experience. Now it, it is by definition an incomplete movie, but I agree with you. It doesn't feel incomplete, right? We did get the journey of Paul Atreides up to a point, you know, in that he, you know, survives the first main challenge to his survival. I won't go into to spoilers, but Paul Atreides survives the first main challenge to his survival and gets set on the path that's going to forge what his future is. But then that's got to come in the second film. So it, by definition, it is definitely incomplete. But the Denis Villeneuve did a really good job of trying to make it feel incomplete as less as possible. And I think he did a pretty good job with that. All right. Thanks for writing that in mostly. Chris W. writes, I heard this rumor. Uh, you were wondering why they pushed back Indiana Jones 5. I heard it is because of the Black Widow lawsuit. As a part of the deal to get The Rock to not join the suit um, and Jungle Cruise 2, Disney pushed the movie back to clear the weekend for Black Adam. That makes no sense to me. That may, that may, I wouldn't believe that rumor. Because if you want to not have it compete with Jungle Cruise 2 on the same weekend, which, by the way, they haven't even shot it. Do they have a release date for Jungle Cruise 2 even? Even if they do, then you move it three weeks. You move it back five weeks. You move it ahead four weeks or three weeks. You don't need to move it a year for that. So to me, I think, Chris... Wherever you heard that from, I think it's you can safely put that one away. I, I wouldn't pay much attention to that because it does it doesn't line up with the facts that we know. At least it seems pretty silly. So I, I wouldn't worry about that particular rumor, Chris. All right, next up. Uh Andrew Brake writes. Hey, John, glad you enjoyed Dune. I did. Uh, I watched it last night as well, and I loved it. I Just breathtaking. How did you like the sound mix, editing, and score? I thought all were spectacular. I will say, just because you bring it up, Andrew, I will say this one thing about the sound mix. 
what is it with absolutely brilliant directors like Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve who sometimes get lost in their sound mix a bit? And, and for me, that was, there were times that I, I mean, I, I eventually always got it, but there were times in the film that I struggled a little bit with understanding what was being said. <clears throat> and it's not my hearing. My hearing's fine. But there were times in the film that I thought the dialogue could have been and should have been more pronounced. Now, I was comparing it to Christopher. It's not as bad as Tenet, like the sound mix in Tenet. But I, I think that's probably from a technical point of view. That is one criticism I have about Dune because technically it's almost a flawless film. But from a technical point of view, my one criticism is I did think the sound mix could have been better at times to make, again, the dialogue more pronounced. Because it's hard to flow with a story when you're having a hard time hearing the story. And I think that's one thing they could have uh, improved upon. But I'm glad you loved it, Andrew. I really did. And everything else about it, technically, I thought was just breathtaking. All right. Champion of Nerds writes, wow, Dune just blew my socks off. Finally, we get the grandeur, intrigue, and thrill of Dune on the big screen. My wife have not, had not read the books. After we got home, she started in. Her eyes lit up when she saw the thick book. A good box office sign? We need to. We absolutely need to. And your wife and my wife are in the exact si same situation. My wife had never read Dune. she never seen the original movie. Never saw the, the uh, sci-fi miniseries either. And she is now asking me about picking up the book. Because she can't wait three years for the next part of the story. That's always a good sign, champion of nerds. So I'm in the same boat with you. All right. Next up, Suthius writes, um, I think sometimes, it sometimes annoys me when people who think or dream a celebrity to be such a perfect person uh, that they don't want to know or see anything else about that celebrity. I bring this up because I've seen some black backlash in regards to the upcoming movie, Spencer. Uh, all of the backlash are in the vein of stop making a movie about or let her rest in peace. I'm not a historian or anything, but it seems that there is so much more to the story of Princess Diana, a story, her story, that may need to be told. Yeah, I mean, that's always the trick, though, right? It's always a tricky thing. Like, that's why when a lot of people, and by the way, I don't know a lot about Princess Diana. I, I mean, I know the very basics and as, as much as everybody knows, but I really don't know a lot about the inside story or the background and all that kind of stuff. Anything short of what was portrayed on the crown, I really don't know much. So I'm not speaking from a position of being an expert at all. Not even a really mod modestly informed fan, like not even that. That being said, it's one of the reasons why when people have asked me through the years about why isn't there a Michael Jackson biopic? Or, or others like that. And with the Michael Jackson biopic, I always said, I feel very torn about it because, and the reason why I think it's very difficult for somebody to do one is because how do you do a Michael Jackson biopic? There are people who are just vehemently believe they have all the facts and information and truth on their side that Michael Jackson uh, all the rumors about him and stuff like that. Nothing was ever proved in court, by the way. Let's just say that. But there, there's a huge group of people that vehemently believe in the innocence of Michael Jackson of all those wrong things. And if you're going to do a biopic about Michael Jackson, it should only be about his glory and the glory of his career and the glory of his 
you know, um, of his charity work and the glory of, of all the things that he did and how we revolutionized the music industry and kind of changed the dialogue. Of, and that's what the movie should be about. Meanwhile, you also have another large group of people that vehemently completely believe all the rumors and speculation, and maybe for good reason, about the, the things about Michael Jackson. And that if you're going to do a biopic about that, you have to address that. You have to address the controversy. You have to address the accusations and the uh, the ac- the accusations and the you know uh, the misdeeds. You have that's what this biopic needs to be about. And if you're a filmmaker, what do you do? No matter how you do a Michael Jackson biopic, you are going to alienate and piss off half of your potential audience. No matter what you do. You make a very pro-Michael Jackson movie, you're going to get a lot of people protesting your movies and a lot of people shouting and yelling, blah, blah, blah. You make a negative movie about Michael Jackson, you're going to get a lot of people protesting and shouting and all. And just, it's just Making a Michael Jackson movie is a no-win situation. It's not quite like that with Princess Diana. Because obviously Princess Diana was just far more popular with people. There wasn't, you know, a lot like likened under the things of Michael Jackson. But still, if you're a filmmaker, you want to tr- tell the human story. And as humans, we're flawed. She had flaws. And so shouldn't you tell those and, and shine a light on those as well if you're going to do a movie about her? But there are people like, no, 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 no. She's our princess. She's the people's princess. You don't talk anything negative about Diana. But is that the right way to do it too? I don't have the answer. I'm not going to pretend that I know the answer. I absolutely don't. But I think as long as the filmmakers are basically highlighting things that are generally accepted, okay, that's true. That did happen. Whether you liked it or not, that is true. That did happen. And then I think you got to cut the filmmaker slack. They're trying to tell and they're trying to portray Diana as a human being. Now, I haven't seen Spencer yet myself. I hear that uh, she could very well get an Academy Award nomination for this, Kristen Stewart. She could very well get an Academy Award nomination for this. I heard her performance is brilliant in it, but I haven't seen it, but I will check it out myself at some point. Thanks for sharing that, Suthius. Next up, we go to Andy from Canada. Good Canadian kid Andy writes in, Hey, John and Aaron or Rob. uh, Neither Rob nor Aaron are here, obviously. Over under 15% that Grant Gustin, wearing gold boots no less, will appear in the Flash film, considering Ezra Miller appeared in the Arrow vs. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Also, Flashpoint lends itself to that potential cameo. It does, I will still say, under 15%. Not zero, not 1%, uh, but I would take slightly, I think the percentage chance I would get give it would probably hover around the 10% range. So, possible, especially with Ezra popping up, in uh, the CW, but you got to understand too, that was a last second edition. Like it wasn't a point. It wasn't a part of the grand plan of that CW crossover event to have Ezra Miller pop up. It was literally a last second thing that they just kind of threw in. It wasn't necessarily part of a grand design, but I, I, so I'll go under 15%, but not, not a lot under that. So, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right. Thanks for writing in from Canada, Andy. All right. Garden variety vagabond writes, John, prayers go out to Joel Souza, Alec Baldwin, and the family of Helena Hutchins. Such a tragic event. I mean, absolutely, yes. And I think that's one of the other things. In the rush for everybody trying to point fingers and, you know, all that, everybody's just missing the point about, look, let's just talk about Helena and her family and 
what can we all do as a fan community to support her husband, her kids, her parents, um, and stuff like that. But everybody wants to pretend that they're a gun expert and they know exactly what happened when they don't know shit about anything. Anyway, uh, Bob from Marketing writes, Hey, John, now that you've seen Dune, I will pose my question again. Do you think a Dune sequel will benefit from the HBO casual moviegoer? No, I don't. Also, I was disappointed in my AMC. I think they had the prime projector at 50% brightness. Uh, it was way better on my TV. Um, well, here's the thing. Prime doesn't have a projector per se, right? Now, the classical projector it uses, and this is what happens sometimes in movie theaters. Sometimes the bulbs and pro projectors are expensive. And sometimes some movie theaters, more than they should, some movie theaters will lower the brightness of the projection to extend the life of the bulbs because the bulbs in these things are super expensive. The prime with Dolby is not in that situation. They don't use bulbs. They have laser projectors. And so it's a different thing. So there would be no purpose. I'm going to sneeze here. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, there would be no real purpose to them doing that. So I, I would talk to the theater manager and express your concern that you had and say, hey, look, you know, when I was watching this, I kind of noticed about, um, I kind of noticed that the, the picture seemed pretty dim compared to my home viewing experience, which was a lot brighter. Is there a technical issue? Is there something wrong with the setup? Blah, blah. I would bring that up with them because that shouldn't be the case, Bob. That should not be the case at all. And, and if that was, if that was your experience, I would absolutely talk to the manager because I saw it in Adobe prime as well. And it was great. Like the projection was fantastic. So I would talk to them though, because there may have been a problem. There, and you as a paying customer, you have every right to approach them and say, hey, listen, man, I mean, be polite. Obviously, these people are trying to do their jobs the best they can. Say, hey, listen, just well, you know, I really enjoy the theater experience here. But, you know, when I watched Dune, I, I felt like it was quite the picture was quite dim to cross reference. I watched it at home on HBO and the picture was much more vivid and much more bright. And I'm just wondering if there's a problem with your projection or something like that. I would bring it to their attention. You're a paying customer. You have the right to do that. Thanks for sharing that with us, Bob. All right. Next up, uh, Chip Chapman writes, Hey, John, you mentioned Alfred was voiced by Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. He also starred as a detective on TV's 77 Sunstrip in 1958. We were just talking about, we were just talking about that show because one of the other uh, performers in it like a few weeks ago. Anyway. In 1958, uh, Ephraim's daughter, Stephanie, played Pierce Brosnan. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, she played Pierce. Uh, she played opposite Pierce Brosnan uh, in the show Remington Steel. Fun fact. I totally forgot that connection. Thank you for pointing that one out, Chip. Well done, sir. I used to love Remington Steel. I mean, I was very young, but still, I used to love Remington Steel, man. All right. Uh, Warren Seda writes. Hey, John and Robin. Obviously, Rob's not here today. Uh, the teaser for The Expanse Season 6 recently dropped. I did not. I have not seen it. I did not know a teaser for The Expanse Season 6 dropped. I really love The Expanse. You guys turned me on to The Expanse. Anyway, The Expanse has been one of my favorite shows since Game of Thrones. Has a very similar feel. If you see the show, what is your excitement level for Season 6? Thanks for all the hard work, guys. I, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I mean, I, I like this show very, very much. And... One of the reasons I like it is because it is very, very character-driven, right? 
it's very, very, it gets into the personal life character and they build a lot of their stories around their characters. This last season was especially true of that because the one crew member goes back to Earth. We get more into his roots and then a story builds around that past and history that he had. And that's kind of their approach to the expanse. It's this fantastical future universe, but it's still very character centric. And that's one of the things I love about it. So I did not even know that the new season, uh, uh, preview is up here. I'm going to have to go and watch that. Thanks for that, Warren. I appreciate that. All right, next up. Corey O writes, John, hello. Uh, my best friend and I went to an early showing of Dune last night. We were blown the F away. Hans Zimmer's score, the acting, the incredible visuals, the story, all came together for the ver- for a very special film, in my opinion. Glad, you could, uh, glad to see that you enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad you liked it, Corey. And again, I really didn't know what Anne was going to think of it. You know, I know I was excited about it because I know the story of Dune. You know, I remember when Rob was talking about Dune, he, because he saw it before I did. And Rob said, I don't know if people who don't already understand Dune are going to feel about the movie. Like he really liked it, but he said, I don't know. But my wife, Anne, is a perfect example of that. She had no clue about the story and she is now obsessed obsessed with Dune. He wants to get the books and start digging into the books. I mean, it's great. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Corey. And yeah, it was a great experience. All right, next up, Rhett Proctor. And this will be our final one tonight, guys. Rhett Proctor writes, so I went back and watched the Batman, the animated series on HBO Max. That thing to me still holds up, by the way. Uh, series on HBO Max. And you just said exactly what I just said. And it still holds up to this day. I always liked the art style. And I think Heart of Ice, that was a great episode, um, is my favorite episode because of the Mr. Freeze story. When it got to the new Batman adventures, I have no idea why they changed the art style to match the Superman cartoon. I feel the new Batman adventures went even darker with episodes, especially the ones with Scarecrow. Thanks and bring on the filthy. And I'll tell you what, I remember having this discussion a number of years ago, but that whole heart of ice story, uh, story in the, the Batman series, I don't think Mr. Freeze was ever a character that many fans were even all that attached to. I think it was that story in the Batman animated series that made Mr. Freeze an interesting character and made people like the character. Now, of course, you can say, but there were elements of that story that were in the comics long before, maybe, but the way it was portrayed, and I don't know who did the voice of Mr. Freeze in the animated thing. The, the voice of Mr. Freeze in the animated thing was so good. So good. And by the way, I also love the Mr. Freeze um, interpretation that they did in the Harley, that they do in the Harley Quinn animated series. The Mr. Freeze in the Harley Quinn animated series was awesome. Um, Anyway. So yeah, you're right. I went back and rewatched some episodes of that sometime during the pandemic last year. And I was kind of blown away how well it still holds up. It's really, really good. And I'm going to do a full series rewatch here pretty soon of it. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the companion videos. Thank you to all you guys who sent in these live comments and questions uh, for us to address on the show. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you support this channel as you do it. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for that support. Uh, Listen, there are more questions to come. We're not all caught up yet, but we will pick right up where we left off tomorrow on the John Campius show. Don't forget that's at 10 a.m. Los Angeles time. You guys can figure out whatever time zone that puts it in for you. So make sure you come back and join us tomorrow. We've already got a bunch of stuff lined up. We're going to talk about, Hey, do you hear that? Brendan Fraser has been cast to play the villain in the upcoming Batgirl movie. 
You know we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Anyway, come on back and join us for that, guys. Anyway, guys, that will do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.